Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream.
remembering that today, uh, God, you have something in store for us in the very near future. And we just got to get in line with you. We just got to walk with you knowing uh, that as long as we're walking with you, the future is brighter still. The best is yet to come. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, we are so thankful that you are joining us today. And we'd also like to welcome our online and radio listening audience. I'll give them a big hand today. So thankful that when we gather here on Sunday morning, we're not just those of us in the room, but people gathered all over the world with us this morning. And we're so thankful for all who were able to tune in and listen to God's word and worship alongside of us. But you might be here in the room for the very first time. And if you are, we want you to know that you are our honored guest. And we are so thankful for your presence here today. In the back of your pews, you're going to find a green connections card. If you could fill that connections card out for us. And on your way out the double doors this morning, you're going to see a little connection desk right there if you could turn that in for us we've got a free gift for you just to commemorate you being here but that's also our way to connect with you during the week so please consider filling out one of those connections cards for us we're going to have a time where we're going to fellowship and shake the hands of those around us before we do that however i do want to recognize one special young lady seated up in the balcony miss abigail finn if you'll stand up up there y'all can't see her but she is turning 17 tomorrow oh Oh, she wants you to see her. 17. <laughs> Listen, for those in the balcony, y'all make sure y'all love on her for her birthday, okay? As we shake the hands of those around us, if you'll please stand at this time as we sing Blessed Assurance. I in my 
You may be seated at this time. Listen, a few weeks ago in our 8.30 morning service, we had a time of baby dedication. Uh, but we had one family that was unable to be with us that day because they came down uh, with, uh, I think, the COVID virus, I believe. Uh, but they are here today. So I want you all to give a big hand to Benjamin, Andriel, Avery, and also Andrew. Y'all come on up on stage with me here this time. And also baby on the way, Aaron, uh, baby on the way. So we praise God for this family. Also, they have family joining us today. If y'all stand and everybody give them a big hand for being with us today, grandparents. I told them, I said, I'm not going to bring you on stage so you don't have to worry. Uh, but listen, baby dedication is such a special time for family. Uh, it's very important because... Uh, in the Baptist church, a lot of times people might get this confused with a baby's baptism or maybe even a baby's salvation. And that's not what baby dedication is at all. Uh, what baby dedication is, 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 is bringing this child, sweet little Avery, uh, before the Lord to say uh, that we're dedicating this child to God's care, God's love that God might use Avery all the days of her life to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and also committing the parents that they might raise this child in a Christian home that one day Avery might come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so this is a very special day for this family. This little gown that Avery's wearing today is actually a gown that was worn by her. I believe it was great, great, great grandfather, I believe. Um, <laughs> in the 1800s who actually planted a church during the Civil War in Missouri. And so um, it's a very special little gown that Avery's wearing today. And so what a great time this is. And so to Benjamin and Andriel, I'm just going to ask y'all some questions, okay? And it just, I'll, I'll prompt you to say I do back to me, okay? Uh, so uh, Benjamin and Andriel, do you recognize that Avery is a gift from God? And do both of you thank God and glorify God for the gift of your little baby girl? If so, please say we do. We do. Do you accept the joys and responsibilities of parenting, promising to give proper love and care to Avery throughout her life? And with the help God provides, do you commit to teach the fullness of God's word and demonstrate through your own example and witness what it means to love God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your strength? We do. All right. And to the congregation, if you could please stand at this time. I'm going to ask you a question. And Flat Creek, here's a beautiful thing for us. You know, we have got so many children running around this campus, you know. I mean, every Sunday we see them. We see little babies in the nursery. We see children running to children's church. And uh, it's just truly a, a, a sign of God's favor and blessing upon us, how many children and young families we have here. And we praise God for each and every one of them. What we do today is the spirit of the Bible. You might remember that Hannah brought Samuel to the temple and dedicated him there. You might even think about Mary and Joseph and how eight days after Jesus was born, they brought Jesus to the temple and dedicated him to the service of the Lord. And so to the church, I ask you, will you offer your ongoing love, support, prayers, and encouragement to Benjamin and Andriel in their role as Avery's parents? If so, please say we do. And, will, and also, will you be faithful in praying for Avery? And as much as you are able, help teach and set a godly example for her so that she might one day come to trust in Jesus as her Lord and Savior. If so, please signify by saying we do. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, we love you so much. And we are so thankful for this precious gift 
of little Avery. Uh, so pretty. Her eyes are just lit up here on the stage. And uh, God, at this moment in her life, we do not know uh, what you have planned for her, uh, what the days of her life will hold. But one thing we ask is that you would use this little girl to take your gospel to the nations. Who knows who, what she might become? She might become a worship leader one day. Uh, she might become a Sunday school teacher one day. She, she might become a great missionary. Just as this month we talk about the missionary named Lottie Moon, a, a great woman of God who took the gospel to China. Maybe little Avery one day will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. No matter what, God, in all things, we pray that this little girl would be set apart for your use and for your purpose and for your glory. You tell us in Psalm 139 that you knit us together in our mother's womb. And God, we believe that every child is a precious gift of the God from the moment of conception. And we are so thankful for this little girl and pray that you would use her all the days of her life. I pray for her brother Andrew. I pray for the baby on the way, Aaron. I pray for Benjamin and Andrea as they raise them all, that they might raise them to, to fear the Lord and they might raise them to glorify Christ in their lives. In all things, Father, we want you to know that we love you and we present this child to you today and we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before y'all step down off the stage, you may be seated, congregation. Before you step down off the stage, we do have a, a special gift for you. Uh, this is just a little Bible for her and uh, just something that she can keep. And this is also a baby dedication certificate, something for y'all to hang in her room. Y'all give this family a big hand today. And thank y'all so much for bringing your child this morning. Thank y'all so much. Love y'all. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Love well, I know y'all just sat down, but how about we go ahead and stand right back up? I don't think we can sing songs like we're about to sitting down, okay? As we sing this song, let me just encourage you. Let's remember who we sing to. Think about these words.
something to you real quick just a few verses book of Daniel chapter 7 beginning in verse 9 it says I kept looking until thrones were set up and the ancient of days took his seat his venture was like white snow and his hair and the hair of his head was like pure wool his throne was ablaze with flames its wheels were a burning fire a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him the court sat and the books were open. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointment, appointed period of time. Verse 13, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming and he came upon up to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed listen as we sing this next song i want you to remember who we sing to we sing to the ancient of days but we look forward to being in the presence of the King of Kings. Let's sing this song as Bell leads us.
Thank you, praise team. Thank you, Brother Caleb. Uh, always a joy. Uh, here's, here's your Bible there, your sword. <laughs> At this time, we would like to dismiss our children, kindergarten through fifth grade, who have pre-registered for Children's Church. You can come right here to behind the piano, and our workers are going to meet you there uh, for Children's Church. At this time, it's always a joy uh, to be able to minister to children. Fill open your Bibles today to the book of John, chapter 21. The book of John, chapter 21. I'm going to bring a message to you today entitled, The God of Second Chances. The God of Second Chances. I began today by telling you a little story that was told to me this morning by Mr. Jerry Sexton up there in the sound booth. And I want you all to know this for certain. If you are looking for a good story and a good laugh, Mr. Jerry's always a guy to go to. He's always got a story for you. And this is a good icebreaker, something to kind of whet your appetite for this morning. So the story goes that there's a church much like Flat Creek Baptist Church. They're looking to have some painting done. Some exterior walls have kind of uh, just need some, some work, some tender loving care, if you will. And so they hire a painter. The painter comes in and he begins to look at all the exterior walls and he realizes that he kind of overestimated just how much paint uh, he's going to need. He, looking at these walls, there's far many more walls and much more square footage than the paint he has. And so he does what any, what you would say, good painter will do. And I use that loosely. He decides he's just going to thin the paint out a little bit. 
So he takes a couple of different buckets and he pours a little paint in each one and he adds water to each one of those buckets, thinking that if I do this, I don't have to go back to the store, pay extra money, and then lose money in this project. So he thins the paint out. He goes to painting all the exterior walls. And just as he's about to get finished, wouldn't you know that a great thunderstorm comes up and it washes all of his work away. And he's standing there looking at the wall and he's thinking about this because this happened at a church. And he says, God, I mean, why did you do this? What are you trying to teach me through this? And a voice came back, repaint, repaint. Go and thin no more. <laughs> the God of second chances. Oh, boy. You got to love Jerry. All right. Thank you, Jerry, for that icebreaker today, my man. We love you. John chapter 21. I'm going to read to you today verse 1 through verse number 19. It says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered and said, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and there you will find a catch. And so they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. And therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and he drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. And Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said this a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend to my sheep. And then Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, 
You used to gird yourselves and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. We come to a message today entitled, The God of Second Chances. The aim of today's message is to really get our feet pointed in the direction of walking through that doctrine of sanctification found in Romans 6, 7, and 8 that we began looking at a few months ago just before we took a break for Christmas. You see, what you're going to find across Romans 6, 7, and 8 is what I like to call the ebb and flow of the Christian life. You see, there are many people who will tell you that the Christian life is a constant upward trend. That the day you get saved, you're down here at the bottom, and as you follow Christ and as you mature, you're just on this steady incline upward. But friends, what I would like to submit to you this morning is that a more accurate depiction of the Christian life is probably a wavy line. You see, there are ups and downs along the way in our journey with Christ. As a matter of fact, as we begin next week in Romans chapter number 7, we are going to examine this in great detail as the Apostle Paul describes being constantly tossed between what is right and what is wrong. And you might even be surprised to hear that the Apostle Paul concludes that he always chooses what is wrong. To the point that Paul would even go so far as to say, I'm a wretched and sinful man and has to plead the blood of Christ. It has been said that when the Lord Jesus Christ saves you and regenerates you by the Holy Spirit, although you are a new creation in Christ, that old man, that old nature is still in you. And that old man will resurrect if through Christ Jesus you do not crucify him daily. You see, friends, the propensity to sin and the ability to sin is always with us throughout our walk with Christ. Although we are called to live a separated life, a life which is yielded to holiness, I would venture to say that there's someone in the room right now whose walk with Christ isn't where it's supposed to be. There's somebody under the sound of my voice right now whose walk with the Lord Jesus isn't where it once was. There was a time when the fire burned hot. There was a time when the zeal for Christ consumed you like a raging bull. There wasn't an arrow that the enemy could throw at, throw at you that wasn't immediately extinguished by the word of God and by prayer. However, because of a moral failure, a lackadaisical attitude, some certain life situation that has caused you to take your eyes off of Christ or the busyness of life, you just aren't where you once were. But down deep in your soul, you long for those days of old. Down deep inside, you long for those moments of deep communion and fellowship with God. Those moments where his presence was so near. Those moments when his voice was so common that you could hear his voice among, above 10,000 others. When your worship was heartfelt and strong, it wasn't out of necessity. You missed those times. 
And you long for those times of sweet fellowship with him again, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3. You just want to know him. You, you just want to draw up next to him and know everything about him. That's all you desire. I was with Caleb the other day and we were talking about this and he reminded me of this illustration of a pastor who once went to visit one of his church members. The church member had not been attending church in some time and the pastor knocked on the door and the church member opened the door and the pastor walked inside. The pastor didn't say a word. He just simply went over and sat down in a chair next to the fireplace. The church member sat just beside him and they just both sat there staring at the fire. And as that pastor stared at the fire wondering what he was going to say, he finally stood up and he walked over to the hearth of the fireplace and he grabbed the fire tongs. He placed them in the fire and he grabbed one coal and pulled it out. It was glowing and red hot and that pastor just set it right there on the hearth and left it alone and he sat back down. And both of the men, without saying a word, they watched as that glowing red-hot ember eventually, over time, just died and became cold. Neither the pastor or the member said a word. And the member who hadn't been in a while, he wondered, what is the pastor going to say? And finally, the pastor stood up, grabbed that little coal with the fire tongs, placed it back in the fire, and watched as once again it began to glow red hot and began to blaze once again. And the pastor, without saying a word, simply walked to the door. And as he was opening the door, he heard this from behind him. Pastor, thank you so much for your visit. And thank you so much, especially for that fiery sermon. I shall be back in church next Sunday. <laughs> Can I tell you this morning, dear friends, that Jesus wants to rekindle your ember. He wants nothing more than for you to once again glow red hot for him. To be a raging fire that cannot be extinguished. I don't know about you this morning, but I am so thankful for forgiveness. I'm thankful that the Bible tells us that, that when we deny him, he doesn't deny us. I'm thankful that the covenant that I entered into with him on the day of salvation is a covenant that is totally dependent upon him to keep. Because if I could lose my salvation, I would have lost it 14 years ago the day I gave my life to him. You see, friends, God is the God of second chances. And aren't you glad that he is? You see, this is resonating with someone in the room today. I want you to know that this week as I prepared this message, it certainly resonated with me. And it would certainly resonate with the Apostle Peter, who becomes the focal point of today's passage. You know, John 21 is a, a peculiar chapter of the Bible. It's, it's really an addendum to the book. You see, you expect John to end in John 20. Verse 31 and 30, you read there, John says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John says everything that's been written is for one purpose, that you might come to know that Jesus is the Son of God, and you might believe. And you truly expect that that's the end of the book. But instead, John takes up writing one more account 
before he closes this amazing book of the Bible. No one really knows why John recorded this. But it is a story that would sorely be missed had it not been included in the canon of Scripture. You know, praise be unto the Holy Spirit who found this story so important that it would be the final chapter of the four Gospels. The restoration of a disciple who had fallen. Perhaps the Spirit of God who searches the mind of God could look down through the ages and see all of the men and all of the women who would falter in their walk with Christ and feel as if they had sinned away the day of grace, knowing that eventually they would pick up the Word of God again unless they feel dismayed that any hope of salvation had been lost. They would come to this chapter and realize that God is indeed the God of second chances. And that's what we come to realize as we walk through this text. So let me give you a few observations. Number one, I want you to see the sorrow which accompanies failure. The sorrow which accompanies failure. You know, friends, if there was ever an apostle that loved the Lord Jesus Christ, it was this man, Peter. If there was ever an apostle who was desperate to prove his love to Jesus... It was the Apostle Peter. If there was ever an apostle who was desperate to prove that he loved Jesus more than all the rest, it was the Apostle Peter. But if there was also a disciple who just for whatever reason couldn't seem to get out of his own way, it was the Apostle Peter. I mean, you want to talk about the ebb and flow of the Christian life. You want to talk about the ups and downs of following Jesus. Just look at the depiction of this man's life across the four Gospels. You have those high and mighty moments. As that moment in Matthew chapter number 4, where Jesus is coming by the Sea of Galilee, and there are Peter and Andrew and James and John. And Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And you see Peter and his business partners, they drop their nets and with great zeal, straightway they follow the Lord. And then you see those moments that aren't so great in Peter's life, like Luke chapter number 5, where he and those same business partners have gone out all night long. They've been fishing. They've caught nothing. And in the morning time, Jesus, needing a place to teach, uses Peter's boat as a pulpit and he teaches the congregation. And after teaching, he tells Peter, he says, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. To which Peter, of course, replies sarcastically, Master, we've worked hard all night and we've caught nothing. But, but at your word, I'll put down the nets. Probably fully expected to catch nothing. After all, this was very early on in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter from Nazareth. What did he know about catching fish? Yet to Peter's surprise, he caught so many fish that the nets were torn. And at that, the Bible says he fell at the feet of Jesus. And he said, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. You might think of those high moments when the Lord Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And Jesus says, come. And Peter, the one disciple who in faith takes a step off the boat. And begins to walk on the water. But the Bible says he took his eyes off of Jesus. And he began to look at the wind and the waves. And he began to sink. And he says, Lord Jesus, save me. And here's the man who just had enough faith to step out of the boat and following Jesus. Only hears Jesus say, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? 
You think about those how moments in Matthew 16 where Jesus says, but you, who do you say that I am? And Jesus says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. On this rock, on your confession, I'm going to build the church. And just a few Verses later, you see Jesus say, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And Peter says, not on my watch. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. If you're not concerned with God's works, you're only looking at this through the perspective of man. I mean, you go through the life of Peter and there's all these different moments and it all culminates the night before Jesus dies when Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. No way they're going to take you to the cross. You could almost imagine him saying, over my dead body, I will fight for you unto death. And imagine how dismayed Peter must have been to have heard the Lord Jesus respond and say, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And you know the story. It's found there in John 18. If you flip back a few pages, John 18, beginning in verse 12. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews, they arrested Jesus and they bound him. They led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Listen, then the slave girl so this is not a Roman soldier. This is not a man standing there with a sword and a shield. This is not a trained army combatant. This is a little slave girl at the door says, you're not one of those disciples of Jesus, are you? And what does Peter say in response? I'm not. And you jump on down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? And Peter denied it and said, I am not. And one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter had cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it again, and immediately the rooster crowed. Imagine that moment of grief which must have overtaken Peter. As they lead Jesus away for that long and arduous night as he goes and he suffers for the sins of the world. Imagine the shame that must have gripped the heart of Peter as he realized that he had failed the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but to make matters worse, Jesus is now dead and Jesus is in a tomb. There's no hope for forgiveness. There's no hope for peace down deep. There's no opportunity left to go to Jesus and simply say, I'm sorry. And for some of you, you may be right there today. You have failed the Lord and the shame of it all has overtaken you. And oh, how you want to come before him once again. How you want to worship and hope once again. How you want to feel that deep communion again. But you are so ashamed of where your life has taken you. How can you ever 
come before him again. Just imagine the darkness of grief which must have overtaken Peter for these three days. As Jesus lay dead in a tomb, not only was there the grief of losing his friend, his master, but there was this overwhelming sense of grief which was born from the failure. And the constant memory that the last time he locked eyes with Jesus were just the moment that the rooster crowed and he saw the Lord Jesus' eyes in deep despair and sorrow as he saw this apostle who claimed to love him, who claimed to go to death with him, fail him and deny him three times. And now Jesus has been in the tomb for three days, three whole days of darkness. But three days later, hope springs to life. You see this rumors beginning to circulate around that the body of Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And there are those who are beginning to say that they have seen Jesus alive. Could it be possible that Peter will have the opportunity to look at Jesus in the eye and say, I'm sorry? Could it be that Peter's going to have the opportunity to repent? Two of Peter's own companions, they come back from Emmaus, they burst through the doors and they tell the story of how they shared a meal with the resurrected Lord. Peter has hope and he's warning so badly, maybe I'll have the opportunity to have a meal with him. At that moment, the Lord Jesus appears and he has fish and bread with the disciples and he talks to them but there's no one-on-one for Peter eight days later the Lord Jesus shows up again and this time he pulls Thomas to the side and he eases all doubts and fears but still no opportunity for Peter why even the Lord's brother James is now telling the disciples that he has seen the resurrected Lord but for Peter there was no opportunity there was no one-on-one, no chance to finally and fully confess and make things right. So please understand the gravity of the statement spoken by Peter in John 21 in verse number 3. Simon Peter says to those who are with him, I am going fishing. Feel the full weight of that. You see, three years ago, Peter left the nets behind. Three years ago, Peter dropped the nets and said, I'll follow you anywhere. And now, just a few days after he denies Jesus three times, what does Peter say? I'm going back to the old way of life. I'm going back to the nets. I'm going back to the boat. I'm going back to the business. I have failed. And God can't use me anymore. He called me to be one of his disciples. He called me to be one of his apostles. He called me to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. And instead, I failed him. I denied him three times. And the only thing that's left for me is just to go back to the old way of life. And I'll tell you, friends, there's so many believers who were sitting in this spot today. At one moment, that, that fire did burn bright. At one moment, you were that individual who would take on hell with a squirt gun. But at some point along the way, you failed. 
And the only thing left is the one thing. I'll just go back to the old way of life. You know, I can remember so vividly in my mind, for those of you who may not know my story, I was saved on November 19th, 2009 from a life of drug addiction, alcoholism, pornography addiction, cursing, swearing, all these different things. I, I just kind of say I was a trash can, just throw it in and, and that was me. And I'd love to tell you all that, that my story is the story of November 19th, 2009. The Lord Jesus got a hold of my heart, called me to preach, and, and those chains of addiction fell off, and I never went back. I'd love to tell you that that's my story, but I'd be lying if I told you that. You see, I was saved in November of 2009, and I was still in drug rehab for nine more weeks, and so I didn't come home until the end of January of 2010. I knew that I had been saved, and I knew that God had called me to preach, so I immediately enrolled in Fruitland Baptist Bible College, and I started school there in April of 2010. And it was really, truly the first time in many, many months that I had been left all alone. And so I can remember four weeks after becoming a student at Fruitland Bible College, studying to be a pastor, studying to be a preacher, studying to be a missionary or an evangelist, whatever God would call me to do. The temptation just got the best of me one day. And I just had this idea in my mind, you know, I want to get drunk again. I want to go back to the bottle. I want to go back to the wine. I want to go back to that life for just a day. That old man was beginning to conjure up and he was beginning to talk and he was wanting to resurrect. And, and there was this battle inside of what's right and what's wrong, the spirit and the flesh. And so I conjured up this plan and I went and I bought all this alcohol. And I'll never forget the day because the plan was so elaborate that it caused me to have to drive two and a half hours from where I was in Bible college just to get back to my hometown. And I had this big plan that I was going to spend the night in my car and all these different things. My wife will never find out. My parents will never find out. Nobody will know. So I, I get back home to Rock Hill, South Carolina. And within just a matter of hours, I was passed out drunk in my car. Here I am, a Bible college student of all things. Studying to be a pastor, studying to be a preacher, and I'm drunk in the car. And then to never forget that when I woke up, I looked to my right and there was a police officer sitting in the car with me. <laughs> Not a good place to be. There was vomit everywhere and he was counting the cans and counting the bottles as he threw them out of the car onto the side of the road. And I can remember looking at that officer and I can remember what I said to him. I said, sir... I want you to know how sorry I am. I'm a recovering alcoholic, a recovering drug addict. Matter of fact, I'm studying to be a preacher. And I've really messed up today. I've relapsed. Could you call my wife? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, you have a wife that still loves you? And I said, yes, sir. And he handed me the phone and he let me call her. And I can remember Summer coming to find me that day. They had been looking everywhere for me. And I can remember getting in the car with her. And I can remember as we drove back to our apartment. How I went in the house and, and, and I was so sick and I was under such of the disciplined hand of God. I can remember laying down on the couch and that whole night just being in turmoil in my soul and in my spirit. How I had failed the Lord and, and how this is just who I was going to be. And I remember the next morning so vividly as Summer and my mama and my daddy came and they stood next to that couch where I had slept all night long. And they said, get up, you're going back to Bible college. 
And, and I remember saying, these are my words. I said, no, I'm not. I'm never going back. And they said, why will you not go back? And I said, this is who I am. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. The chains are too great. I've tried 12-step programs. I've tried four different uh, rehabs. Nothing works, and now not even the gospel can save me. This is who I am. And I remember them saying to me, get in the car. You're going back to Bible college. And I remember riding up that long road back up to Fruitland that day. I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed of what I had done. God's disciplining hand was all over me that day. I got back to school. I remember going to my room and all day long I knew at 5 a.m. in the morning I've got to be in the prayer chapel. I mean, if I've ever heard the presence and the voice of God telling me to be somewhere, it was that day. All day long, you be in the prayer chapel at 5 a.m. And I can remember all day long just this anticipation in my heart as I knew that 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, I've got to be there. I couldn't sleep that night knowing I've got an appointment with God in the morning. He was beckoning me to come to him. He was beckoning me to come back to him. To not stay at the old life, but to come back into the favor, to come back into the grace, to just come to him and rest. Which is what I want to show you secondly, the Savior who eagerly awaits. Just imagine that night on the sea. As all the disciples are talking and all the disciples are sharing and they're, and they're going through all these elaborate stories. Thomas is saying, can you believe he showed up and showed me his hands? Nathaniel saying, you remember when he called me and he said, you'll see angels ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. It all makes sense now that he's resurrected from the dead. John and James talking about where they're going to go on some mission trip somewhere. Philip and Andrew talking about how Jesus in this very area fed 5,000. But Peter, all night long as they talked and all night long as they rejoiced, there's Peter. Just casting the net out into the sea. And to add to his misery, he fished all night long and didn't catch a thing. Now, if you're a fisherman, you know how miserable that is. Just as the day was drawing, they looked toward the shoreline and there was a shadowy figure whose appearance was beginning to be manifested in the early morning fog. Don't you remember that story of the prodigal son? How every day the father would go Onto the road and he had scanned the horizon and he had wait for his boy. Just in case my son comes up the road today, I'll see him and I'll welcome him home. Well, just like the father and the prodigal son, so now we have the Lord Jesus Christ standing on the shoreline. Eagerly anticipating their arrival. How do we know this? He already built a fire. He already had breakfast cooking. Jesus was just waiting on them to stop casting their nets, waiting on them, especially Peter, to leave behind what he left behind three years ago to follow him. Jesus just waiting patiently for them to come on shore. And the Bible says in verse 4 of chapter 21, when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach Yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Just imagine that scene as the sun is beginning to come up over the horizon. The Sea of Galilee is just like a mirror. It's just pure glass. So calm and so still. 
the seagulls are beginning to squawk out there. And it's at that moment, from about 150 yards away, they hear a voice. Verse 5, Jesus called out to them and said, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? And they answered and they said, No. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll find a catch. So they cast and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. I believe this was just a burst of emotion. Jesus had appeared to so many others and had spoken to all of them. And Peter was desperate for a one-on-one, -on -one, desperate for an opportunity just to get before Jesus. So once again, Peter leaves everything to the wind in order to prove his love for Jesus is the greatest. Just see him there as he dives into the water. I mean, can you imagine this sight? As big, burly Peter, all those other disciples in a little boat paddling to the shore with a net full of fish. But there's Peter with all of his might just swimming to get to the shoreline. And just when it gets to the point where he can touch, he puts his feet down and he begins to trudge through the water. And look at what verse 9 says. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. A charcoal fire. Remember the last time we saw the charcoal fire? It was in John 18. Where was Peter warming himself when he denied the Lord Jesus? He was warming himself beside a charcoal fire. Can you imagine when Peter stepped up on the shoreline, how that, that smell, that aroma must have hit his nostrils. You know, smells will take us places, won't they? Just a few days ago before Christmas, I went down to visit family. I went down to see my, my mama, Williams. You know, my papa just passed away, and so she took me into his closet, and she said, you can have anything you want. And she gave me this jacket. Y'all see where I get my flair, don't you? I mean, look at that. That's a good-looking jacket. But I took this jacket. I was so proud to get it. I put it in the back of the car. I got home, and when I got home, I brought it out, and this, this aroma just hit me. You see, if you just, right there on the collar, you know who you smell? You smell Paul Paul Williams. I mean, almost like he's standing right here beside me. And when you smell a smell like that, it just, it takes your mind somewhere. And Peter, when he smells the charcoal, guess where he's at? He's back a few days ago in his mind at the very moment that he denied Jesus. What is the purpose behind all of this? You'll notice that Peter got there first before the disciples. But you notice what the Lord didn't do. The Lord didn't reprimand him. The Lord didn't look at him and say, Peter, how could you? You were the one disciple who said you'd follow me to death. You didn't do any of those things. Jesus never mentions it. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, Peter by faith had been justified. He had been declared not guilty in the courtroom of God. Those sins had been cast away into the sea of forgetfulness. Any condemnation 
any reprimand at this moment was from the enemy. And the enemy wanted nothing more than for Peter to go back to the boat. The enemy wanted nothing more than for Peter to go back fishing. And this is what he does to us. He whispers words of condemnation in our ear, just like he did to me 14 years ago. This is who you are. This is who you will always be. You have sinned away the day of grace. But I can remember so vividly making my way to that prayer chapel and how the Lord spoke to me and said, this is not who you are. Those chains have fallen off. I am not finished with you yet. Verse 10 and 11, what does it say? Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and he drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. See Peter again, determined to prove his love for Jesus. Don't we do the same? When we fail, when we become complacent, when we backside, we suddenly had this burst of religiosity and we think, I'll prove my love for him. Think about Peter, 153 large fish. And he goes over and grabs the net by himself, slings it over his shoulder and begins to drag it across the sand. Why? He wants Jesus to know, I love you the most. I'm proving my love for you. I'll show you how much I care for the gospel, how much I care for the Great Commission. All along, he's hoping that fellowship will be restored, that somehow he will impress Jesus. But friends, let me remind you this morning, the work is already done. The work was finished on the cross of Calvary. All you need to do is rest in him. He eagerly awaits for you to just drop the nets, let go of your efforts, and just rest. This is what Peter is about to uncover. You see, I want you to see the simple gesture that's meant to restore. We're almost to the end here. Let me ask you a question. Who built the fire? The Lord Jesus did. Who prepared breakfast? The Lord Jesus did. Who spoke first? The Lord Jesus did. Who invited the disciples to cook their own fish? The Lord Jesus did. Notice how Jesus does all these things. What is the purpose behind it? Friends, the purpose behind it is single fold to restore Peter. Were there others involved that day? Absolutely. Were there other conversations that took place that day? Absolutely. But the emphasis that the Holy Spirit desired to be recorded in his book and the imprint that was left upon the soul of the evangelist named John was single fold. Jesus demonstrating his great love and patience for Peter in his effort to restore him. I mean, don't you love this about the God of the Bible? He's not some distant God way out there somewhere. The Bible says he draws near to us as we draw near to him. He is very much involved in our lives. And he is very much concerned with where your relationship with that is at with him today. And there is no extent in which he would not go in order to restore you to sweet fellowship with him. 
Can I just tell you, dear brother and sister, that everything that has taken place in this room today is for that one purpose, for you to be restored to sweet fellowship with the Lord. Every song that's been sung, every prayer that's been uttered, every word that has been spoken has been prepared and inspired by the Holy Spirit for one person, for you. All you have to do this morning is come to him and be restored to sweet fellowship. That charcoal fire is burning and Peter sits down at the fire circle. And when you know it, the Lord Jesus, he doesn't go and sit down next to Nathaniel. He doesn't sit down next to James or John. He doesn't sit down next to Thomas. He comes and he sits down right next to Peter. The breakfast is shared and they talk across the fire. It's a scene that looks like the marriage supper of the Lamb as we will share a meal with our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. When the breakfast is over, the other disciples, they get up. Some go to tend to the nets. Some go to get more firewood. And the only two people that are left are Peter and Jesus. Nobody else. Everything else fades away. It's just Jesus and Peter on the shoreline that day. Let me remind you, the Bible says that he will not break a bruised reed and he will not extinguish a smoldering wick. And can I say this to you this morning? Yes, there's a great crowd that's gathered in here today. It's a great crowd watching on television, listening on the radio. But at this moment, I want you to know this. It's nobody but you and Jesus. Everybody else fades away. And just as Jesus looked dead into the eye of the apostle Peter, so you can feel the Holy Spirit beginning to convict your heart this morning. And just imagine the moment that Jesus finally speaks, that one-on-one that Peter's been waiting on next to the charcoal fire. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's he asking him there? He's saying, Simon, you say that you love me the most. As a matter of fact, you've been desperate to prove your love for me is greater than their love for me for the last three years. But can you really say, Peter, that you love me? The word for love there in the Greek is the word agape, unconditional love. Simon, do you agape me? To which Peter responds, and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But when Peter responds, he does not say, I agape you. I unconditionally love you. Instead, he responds and says, you know that I phileo you. The Greek word for love, which means brotherly love or brotherly affection. See, Peter couldn't tell him that he agape loved him. He loved him unconditionally because when faced with a little slave girl, he denied so he can't say, I unconditionally love you. That would be a lie. So he says, this is the love that I have. I phileo you. And imagine Peter's heart as Jesus says, tend my lambs. First denial, wiped off the books. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Second denial, off the books. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Why was he grieved the third time? It's because the third time this question was asked, Jesus didn't say, Simon, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? The third time he asked Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Do you even love me the way you say you do? Is your love for me even that great? And Peter is grieved in his heart as he responds and says, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. I can't say that I agape love you because that would be a lie because you know that I have failed. As a matter of fact, across my life, Lord, there's going to be ups and downs and I'm going to fail you many times. But what I do have is this. I have phileo love for you. I have affection for you. I'm giving you all I am, Lord. And if you will just accept me for as I am. God says, tend my sheep. Third denial, off the books. Denied three times by a charcoal fire, restored three times by a charcoal fire. And I want you to see this subsequent call to follow. Was it say, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you out to where you do not wish to go. Peter, there was a day where you denied me three times when pressed, do you know me? But Peter, I want you to know there's a day that's coming where you're going to be asked again to boldly stand for my name. And I want you to know on that day, Peter, you're not going to deny me. On that day, Peter, they're going to bind you up and they're going to take you. And they're going to stretch your hands out. And they're going to put you on a cross just like they put me on a cross. And they're going to crucify you there. And on that day, Peter, you won't deny me. On that day, you will stand boldly for my name. Now, Peter, follow me. Knowing all those things, Peter, knowing this is how you're going to die. Walk with me now. And what a restoration this is. You know, I, I thought about it all week long. Could you imagine if the worst mistake, the worst sin you ever committed was recorded in God's book? I mean, could you imagine, not just that, but could you imagine if the worst sin you ever committed was recorded in all four Gospels and that preachers for 2,000 years would preach about it? I mean, think about it for just a moment. Peter's greatest sin is recorded in all four Gospels. And these Gospels were written before Peter died. So I'm sure there were moments when Peter would go into a house church and he would sit down and the story was being told. I mean, imagine Peter having to relive that over and over again, your worst failure, the night you denied the Lord Jesus Christ, your sin exposed to everybody. But imagine being in that small little house church as they tell the story of Peter denying Jesus. And they get to the end of the story and imagine Peter is sitting right there next to you and he says, but hold on, you got to hear the rest of the story. 
You got to hear about what happened on the Sea of Galilee just a few days later, how the Lord Jesus appeared and restored me. You see, friends, that's a picture of grace. See, only Peter can say in Acts chapter number 3, verse 19, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter can say that because Peter lived that. Peter had been restored. This can only come from a man who had been forgiven much. God used his failure for his glory. Friends, the sovereignty of God is so much more than our minds can fathom. He's not the author of our sin, but he goes before it. He sees it and somehow makes a testimony out of it that leads to his glory and the salvation of men, women, boys, and girls all over the earth. What an awesome God. The God of forgiveness. The God of grace. The God of mercy. The God of compassion. The God of love. The God of the second chance. And the third chance. And the fourth chance. And the fifth chance. And the tenth, and the twentieth, and the hundredth, and the thousandth, and the ten thousand. You can go on and on. We have all received grace after grace from his fullness, the Bible says. Maybe you're here today and you need a second chance. A second chance. You failed the Lord and you failed him miserably and that fire has gone out. And today you need to be rekindled once again. We're going to have a time of invitation, heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe somebody today would raise their hand and just say, Pastor, you know, I'm the one you've been talking to all day. I need forgiveness. I need to be restored. I want that fire to burn hot again. I want the flame and the zeal to return. And I just need to get with Jesus. If that's you and you would just say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? You're not where you need to be. But you want to get there. And you know it's only through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that this can take place. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Anybody at all? See hands going up. Any others today? Let me pray for you, Father. I come before you today on behalf of those who need to be restored. Oh, how this message spoke to my heart this week so much. Knowing in my own life how busyness, different things can just get in the way of, of just a relationship with you. And oh, how we need to be restored to fellowship sometimes. And God, there were numerous hands that were raised just now. To say, I need to be restored to sweet communion and fellowship with Jesus. I want the fire to burn hot again like it once did. Father, I pray for it. I pray that you might fan the flame of the Holy Spirit that maybe lies dormant today, but is still there. Because we can't lose our salvation. I pray for them. And pray, God, that you might rekindle it. And that, God, they might walk in a new passion and a new fervor and a new zeal today. I put them in your hands. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm just wondering if there'd be anybody else that would say, Pastor, you know, it's 
you preach today, I, I realize I don't need to be rekindled because I've never been kindled. I've never given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, but I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he resurrected three days later, and I believe he's coming back, and today I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. I need to be set free. Anybody at all would raise their hand and say, today is the day of my salvation. Pastor, I need to be saved. Anybody at all? And we praise God that hearts are clear this morning. As we close our time today, let me just pray over you. The hour's late. The hymn of invitation today was a song called Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. T'was blind, but now I see. What a great reminder it is of the amazing grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And oh, how we need grace. I don't know about you, but I need it more and more every single day. And Father, I pray over this congregation that as we go from here, as we enter 2024, that God, our eyes would be on you. And that you would do a great and mighty work in and through us. That the fire would burn hot. And that others would see the difference that Jesus can make in a heart and a soul that's been touched by you. We love you, Lord, and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand today. It has been a beautiful service, and we are so thankful for you being here today. Listen, as I said, if you're visiting with us today for the very first time and you have filled out a connections card, please turn that in for us at the desk beside the double doors. We'd love to come alongside of you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, if you'd like to give to Flat Creek, you can always give online at flatcreekchurch.net or give in person. Also, on the desk in the foyer, it's not too late to give to the International Mission Board. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering named after a missionary who spent the majority of her life in China sharing the gospel. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering 100% goes to International Mission Board missionaries. We have a goal this year of $60,000. And to date, you guys have given $43,000 to missionaries all over the world. Listen, it is not too late for you to give those envelopes there on the table in the back. You can actually give for a few more weeks. We're going to announce our total on Mission Sunday, which is coming up on January 21st. So you have a few more weeks to give. But pray about that. Give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering so that we can bless missionaries all over the world and reach, un reach unreached people groups with the gospel. Guys, I thank you so much for being here today. Happy New Year. We pray that 2024 is a blessing to you and your family. Pray that it be even greater than 2023. What a great year 2023 is. But let's not get caught up on what God did. Let's look forward to what God is going to do. Brother Caleb's going to pray us out. And this is your benediction. Lord, we thank you so much for the time we've been able to spend together this morning. We thank you uh, for, one, being worthy of our worship, but, Lord, having so much for us each time we gather. I pray that as we go our separate ways for safety, Lord, but I pray also that we would uh, understand more fully every day what restoration can mean for us. We love you. I pray that we would apply these things that we learn so that your gospel may be furthered. In Jesus' name, amen.
some lawyers can win And a doctor can heal Your banker can lend Till your pockets are filled But if yours is a case Of a sin-stricken soul For the problems you face I know there's only one place to go Just climb up that mountain With steel springs of fountain It's that sparkling crimson Cold Calvary's floor That same Jesus you've heard of Can take a black heart without love Wash it with rain Cause you can't play the cards Old man, that's gonna give For the barbarous plan Who the loser is gonna be There ain't but two winning hands They were nailed to a tree So just climb up that mountain Where still springs are found that sparkle in crimson Called Calvary's floor That same Jesus you've heard of Can take a black heart without love And wash it with red blood Make it whiter than
97.5 Glory FM, your family radio station in North